afraid if they do not find anything and they hate Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, Ron. I just literally hit, I, I just hit record right as you said that. So that is the first <laughs> thing that Anne will get to hear is your your animosity and uh, heartbreak. So <laughs> yeah. But uh, Sean and Anne, if you're listening in a little bit, whenever you listen to this, know that we're praying for you. So uh, what I wanna <laughs> maybe start our, our time out with is um, this idea of Penalty, power, and presence. And so if you were to kind of boil it down pretty simply, um, the gospel shows us um, a, a couple things about how um, horrible sin is, how brutal sin is, as Paul's been walking through several chapters of that with us. And uh, so the first thing we would see is the penalty of sin is death. Um, you and I all deserve the penalty, or in Paul's language, the wages of sin is death, eternal death, separation from God. We're born in sin, in this sinful condition with a sinful nature, separated from our Creator who loves us, who gave us life. And so the penalty, if, if we remain separated in our sin for eternity, um, the penalty, the wages, the result of that will be eternal death. Um, so penalty and then power, what we're seeing is that not only do we have this sin, uh, that leads to death, but we have a sinful nature that has power over us. Paul's been showing in, um, how the, the power of the sinful nature dominates us. It's our slave master and we're the slaves. We follow the impulses, uh, kind of the knee jerk reactions of whatever, our sin nature demands of us. Um, and, and so think of penalty, power, and then presence. And what Paul has shown us so far through the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is first of all, that penalty has been removed. If you're to look back at Romans 3, where we were uh, quite some time ago, you would see that the penalty of our sin has been removed. Uh, no longer will our sin be held against us. It's been canceled. Our debt of sin has been paid completely. It's finished at the cross. So the penalty's gone. We get to walk free from the penalty of eternal death, the, the penalty of our, our sin. And then power. What we see is um, the crucifixion. As, as we've said this several times, not only did Christ die for us, but we died with him. So this means the power of sin itself that once dominated us, that once controlled us, has been put to death. Or in, in the language of scripture, we have been crucified. Therefore, we have been separated from the power that sin once had over us. So because of Jesus, the penalty of sin has been removed, the power of sin has been removed, or we've been removed from its power. And now what we're going to see in Romans 7 as we read it together is the presence of sin is still here. Um, and so one day we look forward to the new creation. We look forward to being fully uh, sanctified, glorified in the presence of Jesus, no longer battling with the presence of sin here in our earthly bodies. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to read Romans 7 and we're going to see the struggle. We're going to see the, the presence of sin that when you and I forget that sin no longer has power over us, 
we can drift back and allow sin to dominate us again. But we don't have to. But as long as we are alive here on earth, we will continue to struggle to fight this good fight of uh, becoming more like Jesus, even with the presence of sin. So penalty, power, presence. Uh, the penalty has been removed because of Jesus. The power has been removed because of the crucifixion. Um, and one day, because of the resurrection of Jesus, the presence of sin will be completely removed. And we look forward to that. But until then, Romans 7, <laughs> the struggle. All right, everybody ready? So sound good? Okay, let me pray for us. And then uh, what we're going to do is we'll read all of Romans 7 and we'll start working through starting at verse 7. So, Father, we love you. Uh, we're just so thankful for Jesus. Jesus, we recognize that uh, we deserve death. We were created by you, loved by you, and yet in rebellion have turned our backs against you and tried to live life our own way, following our own desires. And yet, Jesus, because of you, this penalty we deserve, you took it upon yourself. You were punished on our behalf. And so that penalty is removed. And we thank you that because of the crucifixion, we've died with you. We've been crucified with you. And so we no longer live under the power of sin. We've been freed from the dominating nature of our sin. And we've been freed. And uh, we pray, even as we struggle with the presence of sin here on earth, that you would help us to walk in righteousness. In the language of Paul, that we would put off the old and, and put on you, Christ. That we would no longer present our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but instead we would present our bodies as instruments of righteousness in your hands, in the hands of grace and uh, Lord, we just we love uh, Sean and Ann so much. We just lift them up right now as they're, they're driving towards the airport and uh, going to spend a couple days in Idaho. Just want them to know how much we love and care about them. Just so they're just such an example of faithfulness and steadiness and commitment. Um, just the way they love people and serve people and are so generous with their time and their money and their their skills, abilities, gifts you've given them. So we just thank you for them. And um, we're going to miss them this morning, but uh, we know that you go with them. Um, and we love them. And uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help us step by step this morning as we walk through these verses. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Um, well, whoever's willing to read, let's pick up chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 1. Maybe take a paragraph or so, pass it along, and we'll just read all of Romans 7. So who's got verse 1 for us? Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if that husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she will be called, no, I'm sorry, but if, that, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is not an adulteress. So she married another, another man. Therefore, my brethren, you have also 
become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve the newness of the Spirit and not in the oneness of the letter, oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about covering, coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, <coughs> but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that when I, uh, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in, in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Amen. Carney, you lucked out two weeks in a row with that section. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought you saw it coming this time. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, foolish man that I am. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. Uh, just as we read through, any initial observations that kind of jumped out at you? Um, and then we'll start verse 7 and, and walk through there. But if there's anything to grab your attention you want to talk about first. All right. Well, let's start verse 7. Just a, a reminder, um, I, I, rec- I highly recommend a, a book called Romans for You by Tim Keller. Uh, very, very readable. You know his work. He does a really, really good job. Um, I've been following some of his outline of Romans, and uh, he makes a, a good note here that in chapters 6 and 7, Paul is asking and answering four key questions. So if you go back to chapter 6, verse 1, you'd see Paul ask, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means, and then he walks through an argument about that. And then verse 15 Second question, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. And then he begins to answer that question. Now here in verse 7, Paul asks the third of four questions and begins to answer it. So the third question is along these lines. Is the law a bad thing? Uh, Since bondage to the law caused evil, was the law itself bad? And his answer in the next couple verses is going to be no, it was sin in me that made the law ineffective. Um, and so that's that's what we'll be looking at these next couple verses. Um, so verse 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Um, and so here, um, any, any observations there in verse seven right away for you guys? That, that first phrase where he's, he's then answering the question, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So, so one of the main purposes of the law Uh, We get this backwards a lot, right? Oftentimes we think, oh, the law is, okay, I got to, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to get right. Here's my checklist. Paul says, hold on, back up. One of the main purposes of the law is to show us the character of sin. It holds up that mirror in front of us that says, here's the goodness of God. Um, Now look at your reflection in light of that, and you'll see how you and I have missed the mark. Um, so contrary to what I think you and I may tend to believe, or maybe the way we are raised or kind of the American way of, of goodness, um, is, Hey, here's the law. Here's what I got to do to get to heaven. And Paul has made that painstakingly clear over these first six, seven chapters, um, that you and I fall short of the glory of God. The law is not a ladder for us to climb up to heaven. The, the law is something that we look at and we just say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Lord, help me. Um, <clears throat> and then here in the end of verse 7, he says, For I would not have known what it is to covet 
if the law had not said, you shall Mm -hmm. not covet. So in one sense, Paul is saying what the law did is it just put language to what I was already doing wrong. The law just said, hey, your heart is coveting. Now let me describe to you and explain to you what it means to covet. Um, So Paul's just saying without the law clearly defining it, I wouldn't have understood that what my heart was doing was sin. Uh, Verse 8, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Any thoughts, observations there on on verse 8? Hey, just to back up just a yeah. pinch, you know, kind of makes the point um, or observation uh, about society uh, that everyone does what is right in their own eyes uh, anymore. And so um, the idea of, you know, right and wrong is uh, subjective mm. nowadays uh, for every person. And so while uh, if you're, say, for instance, if you're a businessman and you can um, make a little extra profit uh, for not paying some taxes, that's okay because, mm-hmm. you know, you can justify your behavior against one another. Well, I'm not as, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, so this is okay. So the, the morality uh, or the moral conscious kind of floats out there and people pick up whatever part of uh, a morality they think is appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was talking about the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty, I think it's set in stone there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think over the years, maybe you and Sean have really helped me see this. And, and maybe we can thank the, the Truth Project for this as well. Um, this, this idea of an external source of truth versus internal, our society loves in quote unquote internal truth. Like you get to define what is good. I get to define what is good. You know, as the kids would say, you do you, I do me, you know, uh, you, you, whatever's good for you, you do it. And whatever's good for me, I'll do it. And as long as we don't harm each other, then it's good. Right. And that's just an internal attempt to say, I get to define what is right and wrong. But uh, we will never, ever agree on what is right or wrong until we stop looking within and we look without and say, well, what's the external source of truth? Who gets to define what is good and not good? Who gets to define what is right and what is wrong? And when we both look at that, then we'll find agreement. And, um, yeah, John, to your point, it's just like, I think we see this living out in our society, right? We're just running circles around each other, trying to define what justice is, what social justice is, what equality is. And as long as we want to define it for ourselves, we're, we're just going to keep chasing our tails. Um, That's a cancerous thought. uh, that's, That's true for you, but not for me. Yeah. What do you, you know, let's pause there. Um, what do you guys, when you hear that, um, or somebody says that, where, where do we go from there? How do you engage in a conversation where I, I don't know, I'm, I'd roughly say 80% of our society or plus is going to hold to that worldview. 
Um, <clears throat> what do you what do you do with with a conversation like that? You know, it's been interesting. I um, I don't know why, but these Ray Comfort um, videos have come up on my um, on YouTube, mm-hmm. and you know he he shares the gospel wherever he goes with yeah. people. Yeah. And uh, this is the prevailing hmm. difficulty he runs into right now with young people is, well, that's what you believe. That's not my truth, you know? And, yeah. And it's, uh, it's a very frustrating um, circle that you get into with people when they say that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They just, no, I, that, that's yours. I don't believe that. That's, that's not right for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ron. I think there's only one truth, and I think that we, as man, have created gray. And I think that Jesus is absolutely black and white. And because we find gray comfort, we say, "Oh, well, that's a gray area." I don't think. I don't think there is a gray area. I think it's absolute. It's an absolute. You know, I don't think that. Um, um, I just think that's another uh, justification for for sinning and accepting what uh, what we want to do ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, Ron, that's something I'm finding difficult too. Is you know maybe the way we would say it is is where the Bible is clear, we're clear, and where it's it's less clear. I think the Bible's inviting us into discernment. Um, because because it, it would be so much easier if the the Bible was just like a moral code that said, do this, don't do that. The reality is this side of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to it in Romans where it says that, that love fulfills the law. So rather than like this written code of like, do this, don't do this, and then you know you're good. Instead, it's you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. We looked at this last week uh, from Jeremiah 31 um, and Ezekiel 36 about the Holy Spirit's put what he's put within us. We're given a new heart and he motivates us to love the Lord, our God, and to love our neighbor. And that's what fulfills the law is love. Um, And so there is a lot of discerning, how do I best love this person? Um, But that's what I'm finding tricky is how can we be black and white, to your point, Ron, where scripture is black and white, but also really wise and discerning where, man, it it leaves us hanging a little bit, right? Um, John, you had a thought? Yeah, one of the arguments that... um I can use is um, with a person like that, I ask them, well, do you agree that there's a a lot of social inequity? Mm. And most everybody will say yes. And I I say, well, that, that's, I I feel the same way too. And uh, what's true for me is to take from others what I don't have. So, therefore, is it okay if I go into your house sometimes and steal what I need (laughs) and see how they react to that? You know, well, no, that's not right. That's not yours. Well, that's true for me. How come it's not true for you? Uh And and I'm okay doing that by stealing from you personally uh, because of the inequity. Mm -hmm. You know, and so (laughs) that kind of argument drives home that – um, the, the fallacy of 
accepting my my truth versus you know as as legitimate as yours. Mm-hmm. So, just a thought there, John. Maybe adding on to that, what would you say? It seems like maybe uh, our culture's way of getting around that example would be well you know, do what's right for you as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. Are you guys hearing that language a lot? That seems to be have mm-hmm. over the past decade, I don't know, maybe longer than that. That's been added on of like, do what's right for you, do what you want, as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. Mm-hmm. John, how would you then, if somebody's like, well, hey, you're coming in my house, you're taking my stuff, that harms me. So therefore, it's not right. Um, where do you go from there? Well, I would say it, it doesn't matter because that's my truth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and there we have the endless argument, frustrating mm-hmm. argument. Yeah. So if you see truth. something missing from your house, Dave, it's, it's me. <laughs> All right. Deal. Yeah. As long as it doesn't harm me. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I got it. Yeah. I'm with you guys. It's. It's one of the most frustrating conversations right now. Um, and I, I don't know. I think with that, it's all tied together for sure. But with that kind of goes the frustrating conversation of don't, don't judge me. Um, you know, let, let this is between me and God. I have a personal relationship with him. And so who are you to call me towards righteousness? Um, and so what I'm finding is when you lovingly try and come to a brother or a sister um, and you're inviting them towards righteousness, um, towards repentance and confession of sin and to walk in the light, um, unless you both agree that the word of God is our source of truth and what it calls us to, we move towards. Unless there's agreement on that, the other person's just going to feel judged. And, um, the reality is if, but if we believe God's word is our standard of righteousness, Jesus is our standard of righteousness. We look to him together, external, external source of truth. Um, then it's not judgment. It's love. It's, I love you so much that together we're not going to put up with sin in each other's lives. We're, we're going to go towards Jesus together. And so outside of that, man, it's, it's like a dog chasing its tail, these, these conversations, right? So that's an area, it's, it's, a, it's a definite soapbox for me. I would love to see our church community over the years get better and better, more and more courageous at lovingly calling each other out in sin and calling each other towards righteousness, doing it with love and doing it with truth. Um, and that we wouldn't buy into the cultural's idea of judgment anymore because it's just not, it's not biblical. And we, we withhold um, speaking the truth to each other in love because of the fear of it coming across judgmental. So I want to really want to see us grow in that as a community. Um, have you guys found, and then we'll keep moving into verse 8, have you guys found that to be true that um, – even within Christian circles, we're quick to throw out the, the judgment card um, mm-hmm. when it's not judgment, it's love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the big things that's real frustrating for me is I hear people say, we can't legislate morality, mm. you know, and it's just, it's the same thing. You just don't judge me. It's just a nicer way to don't judge. Yeah. There we go. 
Yeah. Oh, she's still connecting, I think. <laughs> there we go. Hey, guys. The crew. <laughs> hey, we can't let some. Sorry, guys, interrupt. But no. So good. So good. How was the good? How's the 4 a.m. wake up? Good morning. Morning. Uh-huh. How was what, Dave? <laughs> How was the 4 a.m. wake up? <laughs> 4 a.m., so it's kind of a bummer, but <laughs> yeah. we're almost in Sacramento, so we're making really good time. Oh, you guys oh. are you're heading up that way. Yeah, yeah. Go, Idaho's north. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought you guys were flying. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Why no. do you need to drive? Why do you need to fly when you got a Ford? <clears throat> yeah, that's right, huh? <laughs> where's, where's the? There should be a thing. Let me see the one. You know, we just wanted to say hi. I don't. We don't want to. We don't want to join. Join. No. We don't want to take up your time, guys. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, oh, well, I think we lost some. All right. Love you guys. Have a great day. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. All right. See ya. Oh, John. All right. <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, uh, yeah. Ron, you were, I think you were talking about, um, I asked the question, if you found judgment, we'd be quick to throw the judgment card out there. Um, when it's actually love. And you were responding to that, I believe. Yeah, I was just saying that one of the things frustrating is that people come back and say, well, you can't legislate morality. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're a polite way of saying you, you're judging me without saying you're judging me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah, that's one of those things I think together as we become more and more sure on the foundation of God's word, we'll move away from that understanding of judgment and more towards a, with love, we, we call each other towards Christ likeness. Um, so verse, verse eight, uh, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness for apart from the law. Sin lies dead. Notice that first phrase. If, if somebody could turn to Genesis 4. Uh, Genesis 4. That first phrase in verse 8. But sin seizing an opportunity produced in me. Uh, notice how Paul personifies sin. Uh, this, is, this is important to see that we've talked about this quite a bit in Romans. But it, it's good to be able to distinguish in Romans when Paul is talking about sins in the plural. As, as something that we commit, we commit sins <clears throat> against God, but also sin in the singular, um, as in our sinful nature. And I think ch- right away, Genesis 4 kind of gives us a picture of sin in the singular. Uh, so when somebody gets there, um, <clears throat> anybody want to do a quick off-the-top-of-the-head summary of what happens in the first couple verses of Genesis 4 with the Cain and Abel story? Pressure's on. Mm-hmm. I'll just read it real quick. Okay. In, a, in a verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of this flock and their fat uh, uh, portions. And the Lord had regard for the Abel and his offering, but 
for Cain, his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is it that your face has fallen? If you, had, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That verse right there, did you catch even the way God is describing to Cain what sin is like? He says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You must rule over it. Um, and we know as the story goes that um, Cain doesn't do what is right. He doesn't rule over the beast of sin. It rules over him and leads him down the path from from, ang- from jealousy and anger to, to murdering his own brother. And I think right away the Genesis story wants us to see the, the personification of sin, um, the power of sin within us, not just something like, well, hey, I'm a good person, and yeah, I do a few bad things, I make some mistakes. No, if, if you're looking at the story from Genesis 3 and 4, you're seeing um, this power, this energy um, driving your decisions. And God straight up says to Cain, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. Mm-hmm. Um if you don't, sin's going to master you. It will dominate you. And now, how many chapters has Paul focused on um, sl- sin as the slave master, right? So for me, as, as I've read some of um, Paul's letters, it's helped me over the years to maybe capitalize the S in sin uh, at points where I realize, oh, right there he's talking about not just the things I do wrong, or the sins I've committed, but sin is in the singular, the, the power, the dominating sinful nature within me until it's crucified in Christ. Uh, does that make sense? Questions, thoughts on, on, on that when Paul talks about sin seizing an opportunity produced in me all kinds of covetousness? Questions on that? I think it's really interesting that he that he talks about covetousness, where it that really starts in the heart, mm-hmm. and that's where it gets right to the the center and the core of it all. Is that sin always begins in the heart? Mm. That's a great observation, Ron. Think about uh, what did Jesus do on the Sermon in the Mount? Uh, so, just effectively, I guess you could say, how many times did Jesus say, "You know, you've heard it was said." But I tell you, and what he's doing is he's moving it from an external sin to, hey, this started in your heart. So Jesus will say something like, well, you've heard it said in the law before, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother, right? So, so Jesus moves from, well, hey, as long as I haven't murdered anybody, I think I'm a pretty good person. <laughs> he, he just shakes you upside down, gets right to your heart and says, hey, have you ever been angry with someone? Well, guess what? That anger within your heart is, is the root of murder. Um, and you and I, we've all got it. And so Jesus doesn't let anybody off the hook. Um, he moves it from like this really big external to this, oh, man. That's definitely in my heart. And that's, Ron, to your point, that's what Paul's saying here is 
maybe he hasn't gone to somebody's house like John has and stolen all their stuff. <laughs> but, but what he has done is he has desired uh, what somebody else has that he doesn't have, and he knows it, and you and I know it, right? Good, yeah, good observation, Ron. Anything else in verse 8 there? Can you explain, for apart from the law, sin lies dead? Yeah, yeah. Um, and here in the next couple verses, he'll, he'll kind of bring that to life. But, um, yeah, from apart from the law, sin lies dead. Uh, did we talk about this last week? But it, it's kind of this idea of, um, yeah, we did last week when you and I could be walking down the sidewalk and we're just minding our own business but then we walk by this nice, beautiful lawn, and there's a sign that says, stay off the grass. What does it provoke within you? <clears throat> it provokes this desire to walk on the grass, doesn't it? And you were doing just fine until the sign told you not to. And so it kind of provoked within you uh, this desire to do contrary to, in Paul's language, transgress the law. I'm going to step off of the sidewalk and I'm going to step onto the grass. I didn't feel the desire to do it before, but now that I know that there's a law against it, I want to. Uh, so, Connie, I believe that's where Paul's going. Um, I'll read verse 9 and then um, maybe an example that, that will hopefully answer that question. If not, let's come back to it, Connie. So verse 9 I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Um, Kind of a famous example to explain this is something called uh, Augustine's, or Augustine's, however you pronounce his name, right? Uh, Augustine's pear. And uh, this is what Augustine says about uh, an experience when he was a boy. He says, "Near, near our vineyard, there was a pear tree loaded with fruit, though the fruit was not particularly attractive, either in color or taste. I and some other youths conceived the idea of shaking the pears off this tree and carrying them away. We set out late at night and stole all the fruit that we could carry. And this was not to feed ourselves. We may have tasted a few, but then we threw the rest of the pigs. Our real pleasure was simply in doing something that was not allowed. I had plenty of better pairs of my own. I only took these ones in order that I might be a thief. Once I had taken them, I threw them all away. And all I tasted in them was my own iniquity, which I enjoyed very much. Could I enjoy what was forbidden for no other reason except that it was forbidden? And so Augustine's prayer, he kind of, he's thinking back to his childhood of like, he didn't even want the pair necessarily. But the thought of stealing it and getting away with it was what energized him and his, his, his friends to go do it. John, I know I've heard you share a, a double bubble story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I was reading Augustine's pair, I immediately <clears throat> thought of double bubble. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you mind uh, on the spot sharing maybe your connection here to for um, Augustine? Yeah, yeah, no big deal. You and Augustine, yeah, same yeah. camp. Yeah. Well, when I was uh, in kindergarten, I I had to walk uphill in the snow both ways. You know, uh-huh. that's where it goes. And there was a um, 
gas station on the way, and um, I'd been in the gas station before with my grandfather, and I <clears throat> noticed around the counter there was a large um, bowl of dub- double bubble gum, you know, and that stirred in me all kinds of uh, um, uh, sinful desires. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, long story short, is I um, I was drawn to that 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 uh, gum, and so I I thought I was very stealthy, you know, mm-hmm. at, at uh, you know six years old, and I walked in there, and I kind of looked around, and I put reached up and grabbed a piece of, uh, of gum and walked out and I was so thrilled with having, um, uh, having that gum and I put it in my mouth and I started chewing it. And after the, the basically the flavor was gone, I, I felt guilty hmm. and I knew that I had taken something. And so the very thought of having that on my mouth was, um, uh, somewhat even you know six years old repugnant and I threw it away mm-hmm. and I've always remembered that that um, what I had taken turned to um, from you know pride or you know success of taking something mm-hmm. to a, a, a feeling of uh, strong guilt and I had never felt that before mm-hmm. and so that's when I realized you know I think in, in some fashion as a six-year-old could um, that there was something wrong with me, you know, that this, this was wrong. And, uh, so, but I think Dave, in the verse nine, you're talking about, there is a, um, it says I was once uh, alive apart from the law. The, the Greek in there has a, a it, it spells it out a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It actually says I was once my own master yeah. apart from the law. Mm-hmm. And so there is, if you're a master, you're not under obligation to anything. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, you rule your own world and you have, you, you have your own rules. Yeah. And um, so you can arbitrarily change those rules um, to accommodate what's in your heart. Mm-hmm. And that's all uh, usually sinful. Mm-hmm. And so as, you know, if I had um, done this later, that double bubble later on in my life, I I may have said, I may have changed my, because I was my own master, I may have changed the rules to say stealing is okay. Yeah. And so, um, but the law is not flexible. Yeah. Um, And so when you, when you, you, you drive your life up against the brick wall of the law. It exposes a lot of different things. And, um, and so anyway, yeah, that's good. Just toss that out. Yeah. So would you say verse nine where he's talking about that? He, he would say, man, I, I felt like, at least I thought I was in control of my own life. And then the law came in and sin came alive. There he says that in verse nine, sin came alive and I died. When he uses that language, I died, is he saying he realized he, he no longer was the master of his own life? Yeah, he, yeah, um, yeah, he uh, it's, it's kind of like exactly what we saw in the Canaan uh, Abel situation mm-hmm. that 
um, realized that death was, uh, or, you know, sin was crouching at the door. Yeah. And um, th- there's a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, you, you've got, you, you have to reconcile the idea that there is a law, that I have broken the law, and that there are consequences for that. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it's, a, it's a harsh reality that um, we have to deal with it as human beings, but we're very clever in um, saying, well, that law is okay for you, but not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Let's let's take uh, we'll look at verse 10, 11, 12 this morning. That'll finish this section of this third question that, that Paul's asking about. Well, wait, if you're saying the law produced more sin in me, is the law bad? Um, here, verse 10, he says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So we need to be clear here, as, as Paul's setting up this argument, he's not blaming the law for death. Um, the law is in itself the very good word of God, um, revealing God's will for humanity. However, sin took advantage of human weakness through the law, is what Paul wants us to know. So we feel alive, uh, we feel free until we recognize our sin and sin fools us into thinking that we're free and alive and fully enjo- enjoying life. Um, and, and that's what he's saying is, is it, it actually proved death to me because what, what the law did is <clears throat> it provoked in me um, all these, these sinful desires that were already within me um, that then lead to death. Um, verse 11 and 12, for sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Uh, so any observations there, 10, 11, 12? So just, just to kind of reinforce where we're going with this, and then we'll look at kind of the fourth and final question in 13 through 25, is uh, maybe next week uh, Connie will get to read that section a third time. Um, <laughs> I should have it memorized by then. I know, seriously. But then we'll get yeah. to, I think, um, next week, I don't know about you guys, but my hope for, for next week's study is that it's incredibly freeing. Um because what you're going to see is you're going to see Paul. You're going to see someone who loves the Lord, who when Jesus met him on the road uh, to Damascus back in Acts 9, uh, man, his heart just fully belonged to Jesus. And everything about his life was pointed towards being a missionary to the world to, to tell people about Jesus. And uh, he died to the world and, and lived to Christ and yet I, I think what you're going to see next week in, in those verses is, is a man who, who struggled and fought with sin. And so as we talked about the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, Paul's very honest and real about the presence of sin in the life of a Christian that leads us to this place of just complete dependence on the Holy Spirit, complete dependence to say, oh, man, just as, just as Jesus gets all the credit for my salvation, 
Um, he gets all the credit, the glory um, for my sanctification to become like him. Just as much as I need God for, for salvation, I need him for sanctification, for growth, this struggle against sin to become righteous and holy like Jesus. And so I think next week as we lean in, it is comforting. It's good to see a godly, godly man like Paul say, and if you don't come to the end of yourself, if you don't come to a place where you say, I, I can't defeat the presence of sin in my life, without the power of the Holy Spirit, um, then you're going to struggle and struggle and struggle. Um, but it's that place of um, just complete uh, surrender that we begin to walk in the newness of life that Christ has for us. So I, I think next week, a lot of, lot of um, comfort, I would say. So um, what would you guys say? Let's, uh, though we don't have Sean here, let, let's throw out in light of this morning's conversation our, our two questions as you look at these verses and, and maybe our conversation this morning, what, what did we learn about God, uh, who he is, what he's like? Um, and then we'll look at that the second question of then how, how do we respond as, as humans. But um, this morning, maybe in the past 50 minutes or so, what did you learn about God and who he is and what he's like? I'll go first and, and see if uh, anybody else wants to jump in. But I think for me, John, I'm glad you paused us there at verse 7. Just this morning, just seems to keep coming back to it, but how God is the source of truth. Um, Jesus himself says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And um, just realizing no, no truth uh, can be found outside of, of who he is. And uh, everything else is just a, a shallow, empty, mirage uh, pursuit of life and truth. And so just thinking about, man, if we, if we want truth, if we want unity, we look, we look to him. Um, but yeah, anybody else? Well, I like the thought in verse 9 uh, that uh, I was once alive apart from the law. Um, now we're dead to the law mm. and alive to Christ. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and we we live in a, um, you know, the, the the law of Jesus Christ, the commandments uh, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. He's he's condensed that in all of the commandments and um, all the regulations of the Old Testament into that. Mm. But we are alive to him, and so uh, through the Holy Spirit, he energizes our new life to be able to meet and keep those commandments. Mm. And it flows, you know, as, as Romans will show, mm. uh, it flows out of a, a new man, a new life, mm. uh, a new life source. And that's exciting stuff mm -hmm. that we can be dead to that old nature as we focus on Christ. And he becomes our source. Hmm. And um, we were having this very conversation uh, Sunday night in our, our family uh, Zoom meeting. And hmm. um, um, the, the idea that 
I should say the reality of the fact that um, God has uh, put to death that old nature in us and that we are alive to him is just astounding and that mm-hmm. and as we focus on him we begin to have a new mind and a new heart and we mm-hmm. can breathe out the fruit of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. uh, just like we breathe you know we don't have mm-hmm. to act we can be mm-hmm. it you know and so I'm so thankful that he has uh, put away sin for me and given me a new mm-hmm. nature Mm-hmm. I needed one starting at six years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> double bubble. <laughs> thank you for sharing on the spot, too, John. I, I know that was unfair, but thank you for being willing to share your depravity with us on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I have plenty more I can share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Next <laughs> week, Connie, why don't you lead out with stories about John's depravity? <laughs> that could be like a podcast, I feel like. Yeah. 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 Stories yeah. of John's depravity. Yeah. Why, the, why, hour. <laughs> the mission would be why you will believe in total depravity by the end of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'll just stand in the corner so you point towards me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Guys, always grateful for time in Romans with you. Uh, if you want to get a head start, just read 13 through 25. And, um, John, I think that was an incredible vision you just gave us of the hope of enjoying the righteousness of Jesus, being filled with the fruit of his love, joy, peace, patience, like breathing, right? To be fully energized by the Spirit, walking with him. Um, that That's worth going after. So uh, that's, that's where we'll pick up next week. Um, Ron, would you be willing to, to pray for us? And we'll call it a morning. <laughs> Father God, we just thank you for this this passage, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to share, and Lord, I just thank you for people getting up and early and uh, attending. And Lord, just let this these verses be a reminder to us of uh, that we are dead without you, Lord, and that sin is ever present in our lives. And Lord, that you know because of you, we have been saved and will live, etern- live eternally with you. Lord, I just pray for uh, Sean and Ann, that they have a safe trip, Lord, and that they uh, find what they are seeking, Lord. And if it's the right uh, move for them, Lord, that you would make it abundantly clear. And if it's not, Lord, make it clear as well. Lord, I just pray for healing upon Dave's health, that you would just uh, put your hand upon him and uh, uh, bring him back to full health soon. Thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.